Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity. All right, so back to what we were going to do. We're going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to get Mo to read because um, she's got an excellent voice. And then we'll pray and we'll get rolling. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my Bible titles it The Compromising Church. Mm-hmm. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans? Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. Which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and I will fight fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Awesome. Nice. Cool. You want to pray? Yeah, breath. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, I'm going to pray. So, Dad, we just thank you so much that we get to come together and um, study these these letters that Jesus, you, you yourself wrote to the churches. Um, we believe that they're applicable to us today, and we want to just um, understand those letters. We want to um, take heed and obey what you're saying and understand that what was written to those churches 2,000 years ago is still applicable to us today. Um, so, yeah, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would reveal to each person um, something. It doesn't have to be everything because there's a lot of information. God, I just pray that there would be something that... Uh, really um, connects with each person, yeah. where each person finds that they can make a um, an actual application move towards or away from. Um, I just thank you, God, that uh, this is super simple, that it's not super hard, and we just rebuke the enemy's attack, too, of you know trying to overwhelm us with the book of Revelation. We believe that is a lie, that the book of Revelation was meant for us to understand mm-hmm. and not to be a confusing book. Um, and that's just the enemy being terrified of us finding out what's hidden in these pages. Um, so we just, we want to be overcomers. We want to be the ones who seek out the truth. Um, and so that's what we're doing. So yeah, God, we just thank you so much. We honor you and we praise you for who you are in Jesus name. Amen. 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 All right, cool. Um, you want to? Start, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so before when Cam and I were preparing for the message, he was talking about how he wants all of you guys to just like feel like find this well that he's found with Revelation because it's it's like made his relationship with Jesus so much stronger and his love for the word so much more rich and powerful. Yeah. Um, and I just while he was talking, I got this picture of like him finding this well. And he's like, wow, I want all my friends to find this well. Like, this is amazing. So he, like, carries the water in his hands, and he's, like, running back to go show his friends about this well, and the water's, like, splashing out. And it's, like, when he goes to show his friends, it's, like, there's a couple drops of water. And it's, like, wow, really impressive. Cool. Um, But really, the thing is, the point is to, like, bring you guys to the well. So we might tell you stories and 
be able to like summarize these chapters really well, but it's like really it's such a beautiful call for all of us to go to the scriptures ourselves yeah. and make this really applicable to your own life. <laughs> so take responsibility for your faith and come to the well because there's so much more. Like literally we went through five verses and all week we've been listening and studying and like praying. It's like five verses literally spent, we spent seven days on, we could spend eternity on because yeah. we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. So it's really, the word is alive. So yeah. it's a call to you guys to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So. And we just, we always want to make it a, a very big thing that, you know, we encourage you guys to do the study. Um, you know, we're here to help kind of help guide and, you know, give what the Lord's speaking to us. Um, on the leadership team and just the, that good stuff, but um, really, it's not going to go anywhere if you don't take it, you know. Um, and so, I would just encourage you. I mean, man, like I was encouraged to want to like get a notebook and write down these notes because there's so much in each one of these verses mm -hmm. packed in, yep. and there's like. It, it, it would just, it's impossible to remember it all from one teaching. Yeah. It's impossible to get the full scope. I mean, I, I've, I love Ch Dr. Chuck Missler. You probably heard us all talking about that. And that's who I've, I've been listening to. But this week, actually, I think I listened to his teaching once at the beginning of the week and then once today. Once today <laughs> and very briefly, um, I've actually found another teacher that I thoroughly enjoy. And I mean, holy cow, he's so good. His name's um, Dr. David Pawson. He's this old British man, and his voice is so soothing, and yeah. like, he tells beautiful stories. Too. Yeah, he's incredible, and like hearing his perspective um, on this same book that I've heard Chuck teach on, and I love what Chuck talks about, um, but it just brings everything together so much more, because there are a lot of things they agree on, and one will go into certain parts deeper than the other will, Yeah. but there's also things that they disagree on, and so it makes the responsibility go back on me because, well, not that I have to choose a side between the two, but you have to understand that there are some things in this book that are kind of up for discussion. So anyway, you've got to do your homework. Don't just take what we're saying as truth, you know, like be, be a Berean. Uh, we've talked about that before where you take the word, you receive it with all readiness, but you also go home and search the scriptures daily for yourself to make sure that it matches up with the word of God. Yeah. The word of God is your barometer of truth um, and your plumb line for uh, what the truth is. So definitely check that out. Um, so, uh, in introducing this book, um, we do just want to review what we've learned so far. You know, chapter one was a, a letter, or well, the opening to the book where John receives a vision. He receives a vision of Jesus Christ and the revelation. Um, he sees Jesus, and it's all real good. And then Jesus writes letters to the churches. And we, uh, first week we did Matt. Matt taught on Ephesus. Super good. Go check out the podcast. Um, the Ephesian church was one of the biggest churches in the area, um, and Jesus' call to them was basically, you know, the, you've you've done really well with teaching. You know, you've called out the false prophets, and you don't let them in your, you know, congregation, but this thing I do have against you is that, you know, you haven't, uh, you've left your first love. Mm -hmm. And so all these letters are like report cards. It's like, if you went to school and your teacher was like, okay, you've done pretty good in this, you you got an A here, but in this course you've got like a C, so you really need to work on this. And so this is Jesus like um, giving his church's report cards. It's not in a way of just crushing them emotionally and spiritually, but it's in a way of calling you to a greater standard. Um, yeah. 
So that's the Ephesus church is returning to your first love. And that's the, what we, our main takeaway from that is we want to be a people that never forget about our first love, Jesus, and that we never stray away from him, um, that he's always the root, the, the center of our religion. Um, the next church was the church of Smyrna. Um, Savannah and Chelsea crushed that one. They crushed it. It was super good. Um, I really enjoyed listening to that. I will have the podcast up. I've been a little behind in putting up podcasts. Um, so it will be up soon. So you can go ahead and listen to it. Um, it's still on Facebook. So you can always go back on Facebook and listen to it. Um, and I'd really encourage you to do so. But the Smyrna Church was uh, super uh, heavily persecuted. Um, I mean, it was crazy. And Jesus actually has nothing bad to say about them. He basically just says... Yeah. You're suffering for my name, and just keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. And um, it just kind of shows the heart of the Father um, that, you know, when you're getting kicked around, he's not also going to kick you while you're down. You know, he right. wants to encourage you where you're at, and especially when you are um, holding fast to his name. So tonight is the Church of Pergamos. Uh, we'll go through a little bit of history on Pergamos. Um, do you want to talk about the upper, like the geography and stuff? Right. Yeah. yeah. Did you do this part? Or did you order Oh, yeah, that's true. I skipped something on the notes. But um, we talked about the seven elements of each letter. That each letter has seven elements. If you've got notes, this is a great time to write it down. Um, each letter is going to have these seven elements in them. And this is something that you need to write down for each church so that you can remember. Um, element number one is the name of the church. Jesus always addresses who he's talking to. Number two is the title of Christ chosen. In chapter 1, uh, Jesus gives seven names of himself, and he uses one of those seven names for each of the churches. And you'll see that each of those names applies directly to the church in a very specific way. It's really cool how that works out. Um, number 3 is the commendation. What is this church doing well? What have they been doing really good? And Jesus is going to encourage them. You know, if, uh, if you want somebody to do something different and be better in some way, take Jesus' model. Always encourage people first. <laughs> Always tell them what they're doing well first before you drop the hammer. It's a really good um, technique of always just knowing like the goodness of somebody. Um, number four is what Jesus' concern is for the church. He doesn't hold back, and he does have concerns over what the churches are doing, and he has standards. And um, we'll see those in each of the letters that Jesus does have concerns of things that um, he gives the church the responsibility of changing. Um, so it's up to them, and he doesn't. he's not going to force it on them, but there will be consequences. Um, number five is the exhortation. Um, this is what he tells them to do, and if not, that this is what will happen. Um, number six is the promise to the overcomer. Each book is going to have a promise to the overcomer, and these are super cool. And these, you know, we talk about claiming the promises of God. They're all yes and amen all the time, and... Like, nobody really cares to pay attention to the promises of the overcomer, which are incredible yeah. and have a lot to do with our, you know, life in the eternal perspective. So um, that's really cool to pay attention to. And the last thing is a staple of each letter is he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I, I just think it's cool. I was telling Monica, I like how Jesus was just very plain and he's, mm -hmm. he's not trying to... Uh, use smooth words or like right. give you all the benefits of what's going to happen. He just says, if you've gotten near and you hear, then, you know, th <laughs> this, this is what the spirit says. So listen and take yeah. heed, you know, not that he doesn't care. Don't take that as he doesn't care. But the, the main part is that he, the choice is yours. You're the one who has an ear. 
And it's your responsibility, not only to hear, but to move on what you've heard. So, um, very serious. Take it seriously. Um, so yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we can do this one together, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're saying, not doing the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't pronounce this word. <laughs> I just don't want to talk the whole um, time. No, that's fine. So I don't know if it was just that I never really took the time to look up where the letters of the church, like the churches that Jesus wrote to were. In my mind growing up, I always thought it was the Middle East. But like I always pictured like Babylon and Bethlehem. Like I pictured it very like mm-hmm. Jesus times. I didn't move forward in my history at all. So um, it really reminded me a lot of the movie Hercules. Like when I was learning about this city. So I can't actually, it's in modern day Turkey, the city. Um, and there's a lower city uh, and an upper city, mm-hmm. both super wealthy like yeah. super affluent like like they had huge libraries and healing centers and medical wards and hot medical springs and things like that so yeah. the lower city was centered around a hospital and there was a, something called the temple of ask I spelt it wrong all throughout the notes. I was like, uh, <laughs> hard work to spell. So it was there. <laughs> There's a temple, and it had wards and baths and spring waters. And there was a tunnel that would run from these like spring waters to the hospital wards. And there was like in the tunnels, there was holes in the ceilings, and there were, the sick people would run from the springs to the hospital. And priests would shout down, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. And it was, like, part of their healing ministry. Um, and the, um, Esculapius um, was considered a god of healing. And he was worshipped by the Romans, like, completely idolized by the Romans. And his symbol that was used for healing was a serpent around a brass pole which is the same symbol that if you look on like hospitals or ambulances or whatever we still have the same symbol today so it's cool to see where the history of that came from it's actually about a a roman god yeah and if i could uh, interject right there it's um really interesting because um that obviously the romans believed in a lot of gods multitude of gods yeah um just to give you context um aesculapius was i think the son of um uh, what is her name? Uh, Athena? Oh, Athena. Athena, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, I look it up. It's <laughs> it's interesting. But, um, yeah, so the, the, it, he was a god to them that they worshipped. But the other interesting thing is uh, when you look at that symbol of the, the pole and the um, snakes that wrap around, um, there was also another god named Hermes. And Hermes mm-hmm. was the god of commerce who that was his staff. That was the staff that he carried, that he wielded. So basically that gives a picture of the marriage of both um, health and wealth. You know, health and wealth tend to go together well. Like if you've got money, you're probably like working out and getting supplements and doing all this stuff, taking care of your body because you have to take care of your body. If you don't, you won't be able to make more money. So there's like, or spend your money. And so (laughs) there's this like, this deep like connection between both health and wealth, especially in the city um, where they're worshipped. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So the last thing with the lower city that I like was focusing on is um, you're in the lower city where most where all the people dwelled, 
and you're like looking up to this city called an Acropolis, and it's like temples are just built on this Acropolis, and you see like booming like black smoke like rising up. So you're like little old person, and then you like are looking up at the temple of yeah. Zeus, like with black smoke like right. raging from the the temple. So it's like super intimidating. It's yeah. Then like remember in this time, all the churches were house churches. So the house church, I mean, we have a house church of what, like 20 to 30 people yeah. typically on a night. Um, and so like, imagine, just put yourself in the situation so we can really get the idea of the city is, like Monica said, sitting in that down below in this huge towering temple um, over top of you. Um, I think Monica was about to go on to a, uh, that Zeus's temple. You want to do that? You want me to do it? <laughs> it I can do it. Um... Well, no, you do it. You do it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. It's yeah, exciting. so it, it's really cool. Um, well, really cool. It's but awful. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I was fascinated. It's, yeah. Um, so on the top of that Acropolis, that hill, um, that's what Acropolis means, is like mountain, hill, high place, um, there was a temple uh, that was built to Zeus. Um, Zeus. The, actually, um, it's thought that Zeus was born in this area, in this city. So that's really interesting, too. They built a giant temple, and if you look at pictures of it, you can probably look it up online. It's this massive, massive building, um, but it's shaped like a lounge chair. It's shaped where it's like got a long like stretch and then two arms that come out. So it's shaped like a chair, which is really interesting because, as we'll see as we go forward, that uh, the letter says, I know that... This is where Satan's throne is. Uh, we'll get to that, but that's like very interesting to see the the connection there. Um, and uh, there were also other throne like temples up there for different gods. So, um, yeah, I was about to say. So the the big thing about this city of Pergamus is that the city was um, this big bustling like town. I mean, very wealthy um, and very culturally. Uh, advanced like when you look at the um uh, the uh pictures of the temple they have these giant columns i mean giant columns and on top of the columns are these things i, I heard it called an architrave i don't know exactly what that is but it's basically the thing that sits on top of the column um in the building that's yeah it's I probably the swirly, the swirly boys guys. i think yeah. that's what it is <laughs> swirly boys. Swirly boys. Nice. The, those things weigh 24 tons Holy and they had to get those on top of these massive poles. It's a big swirly boy. And this happened. <laughs> it's a big swirly, big swirly boy. <laughs> And this happened before there was the invention of cranes. So you you have to think this is the ancient world, and they're lifting these massively heavy heavy objects. I mean, yeah. how big is a like bus? <laughs> I don't know. Big. Uh, big. Big. That's a lot of tons. That's a lot. So you look, I mean, that's that's how advanced they were, that they could do this. And they didn't do it just once. They did it multiple, multiple times. So it's just like incredible, remarkable. Sorry. I can't but, hear <laughs> Siri. We're looking at how big an elephant is. That's a better. Are they uh, two okay. tons or one ton? Uh, I think they're like two tons. So it's you have okay. lots of elephants. Many elephants. <laughs> um... So anyway, like yeah. like I'm saying, the um, the culture was really big. The other thing is the library. They had the, probably the second biggest library in the world at that time um, in this city. The library was um, right beside the temple. Um, it's actually the birthplace of parchment. That's where parchment got its name. Yeah. It stands for Pergamon's Charter. 
That's what parchment stands for. So yeah. that's really interesting. So the the main thing to take away from this is that oh I'm sorry that I almost skipped there's Caesar worship too which we've seen in a lot of different areas but um, it, they had a, a temple dedicated to Augustus 25 years before Jesus was even born um, and so you have three different things matched up here you have culture you have politics and you have religion and they were all pretty advanced the the big problem that we see in this church is that there was no separation between the three. There was no separation. So basically, if you were religious, you also had to succumb to the cultures, the culture in the city and the politics of the city. So like, it's just like, when you think about the name Pergamus, which is the meaning of Pergamus means a mixed marriage. Perg means mixed and marriage means, or mos means marriage. Um, could also be an objectionable marriage, an objectionable marriage. Um, so it's really just interesting to see that, um, and this is a big like um, setup for what the letter is going to be about. I want to talk about the. Okay, yeah. So I, just to give a quick point too about the um, the Caesar worship thing. Um, is that uh, one concept that I, I taught on Revelation chapter 1, and since then I've learned a bunch of stuff about that chapter that I didn't really talk about. So just bringing something up, um, one of the things that it talks about was John says, you know, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I think I talked about that being a um, Saturday versus Sunday, and that is fine. I think that was, like, not a bad thing to talk about. Um, but the... Uh, this guy David Pawson, when I was listening to him, he talks about it, and that word Lord there doesn't mean like Lord Jesus, like the Lord. It means a Lord. Um, so that a better translation of that is a Lordy Day, um, it, which sounds like kind of silly. Lordy. A Lordy Day. Yes, yes, a <laughs> but basically, um, at this time, like as we were talking about this, the Caesar worship, um, this was a, a big deal, and um, Caesar at that time demanded... Um, worship and he called it the Lordy Day. Um, and so there's like this, like Roman wide, like day where everyone was demanded to pay respects and worship Caesar. And by doing what they would do is they take a little incense and throw it into a fire and say like Hail Caesar or something like that. Like Caesar is Lord. Yeah, Caesar okay. is Lord, and they were required to do it. Um, and so, um, there's like a tons, ton of different stories from that time, but one of the stories that I thought was really cool to listen to was, um, that there was a story of a woman who was confronted about this, who was part of the church, she was a Christian, and she was confronted and told, you know, you need to pay your respects and worship Caesar right here on the spot, and she refused. So the Roman soldiers grabbed her, her baby, she was a newborn mother, and, took the baby from her, and the baby started screaming, crying, wailing, because the baby needed to nurse. And the soldiers told her, well, we're not going to let you nurse your child until um, you pay your respects to Caesar. And um, that woman uh, refused. She refused to worship Caesar. And, like, that just, like, really hit me, because, I mean, obviously we're pregnant, and, like, I mean, how many of us, honestly, would be able to do that? But that woman had such an like eternal perspective of like, you know, that desecrating the name of the Lord, like abandoning the right. Lord just to feed my baby, 
is like exactly what the enemy wants you to do. And knowing, too, on top of that, God's goodness is way bigger and way better. Because, like, an eternal perspective says, well, that child's going to go to heaven. That child's going to be taken care of by the Father. Because it didn't have the, like, wherewithal to be able to receive the Lord yet. And um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the baby ended up dying from starvation, and she refused. And so um, it was very serious. They took it very serious. Um, but you can see the like weight of living in that time and that culture. You'd be presented with that every year. Every year, yeah. and yeah. so you're constantly faced with like, what will I say this year? Right. And so yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. So, um, okay. So all that being said, I think we can move on into um, going through the scripture itself. Um, so let's see. You want to go over the first part of the scripture? You want me to? Um, there's two ideas. Yeah, you want to do that? Or you want me to? Okay, I'll do it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm just making sure. I want you to be able to talk to you. I don't want to put you on the spot. So. Um, I'll do the next one. Cool, okay. All right, so um, the first part of the verse, uh, verse 12, it says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. So I already told you that Pergamum means, or Pergamus, means mixed or objectionable marriage. So this, the meaning of the name of the church really has a lot to do with what this, uh, what Jesus is going to tell the church. Um, and it's all about like this idea of the church being married to the world. Um, That's not good. That's not what Jesus wants. Um, the title here uh, that Jesus chooses to use for Pergamus is uh, the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. Um, so one thing we have to understand with swords is that Roman soldiers typically had two different swords. They had one sword that was like a one-on-one -on -one personal combat sword. It was a long, thin blade that they'd use for hand-to-hand -hand combat with just, you know, one or two people, you know, in battle, and it was always by their side. Um, the other sword that they had uh, was this, like, mass weapon of destruction. It was a sword <laughs> that was shaped like, almost like a, a shovel spade. Um, so it's shaped like that, and right down the middle of it, it had like a rib. And so it's like this double-edged blade, and the handle would come all the way back and then split into two. And so the soldier would take both handles kind of like this, and they would be able to swing that thing like really wide. And the blade was so sharp that as soon as it like made contact, it was ripping through. And chop it could, an arm. Yeah, it would chop off an arm. So... One person with this sword could take out potentially like 50 people at yeah. once, you know, depending on how many people are around. Like, crazy. Um, and, you know, it's cool because it, I mean, cool. I say it's cool. But, but <laughs> it, it would rip straight through the bone to the marrow. And when we read about, you hear all these scriptures about the, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah. Like, Jesus is relating to, or he's teaching from the culture right. about that the the sword, that the two-edged sword, that's what his word is. It's better than any two-edged sword. Yeah. And it's like, not that it like kills people, but it can separate from, you know, life and death, you know? And so when um, he speaks, you better be paying attention. Um, so that's interesting to keep in mind. Um, go, going forward, is this the one you wanted to do? No, this is, um, okay, cool. I know that works. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. We already talked about that. One thing about that I do want to stop and just take a look at is I know that works. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Jesus is like, I, one thing in our, our culture today, and especially church culture in the Western world, is we have an overemphasized um, teaching on grace and like that, oh, God's grace is so good and grace, grace, grace. His grace is so good. Yeah. It's not that it's bad, but it's a false idea of grace to where like, um, you know, I don't have to work to earn his love. I just need to sit back and receive it. There's elements of truth in that, but there's also the element of God giving you things like the parable of the talents, where Jesus says he gave these men's men's he gave these <laughs> men different talents. He gave one man ten talents. He gave one man five talents, and one man two talents. Do we have a question? Oh, okay. Okay. Um, ten talents, five talents, two talents. The first guy doubled his talents. The second guy doubled his talents, and the last guy buried his talents. Right. And that I mean, go read that scripture. I think I've taught on this before. I'm having a flashback. But it is like in it's extremely intense about what the Lord says. I mean, he basically tells this person he's going straight to hell for not, you know, like using his talents. So this idea that God's grace is sufficient to where I don't have to do anything but just receive his love and I don't have to perform. I know that's going to be buzzword for some people, but I'm not saying you don't like don't perform for something. But you also there are deeds that Jesus uh, is looking for from you that you are uh, expected. Yes, you're expected to present these deeds, and um, you know, it, it, good deeds follow your faith. If you've got faith, then you're gonna have good deeds. I mean, I think the book of James talks James all about it. it. Yeah, um, and so like in each of these letters, Jesus is saying, "I know thy works. I know what's going on." Yeah. Um, can I say something yeah, about that too? So I was listening. Mike Bickle is another teacher that I listen to because <clears throat> um, he loves studying Revelation. And he talked about this in like a more sentimental way. Like when Jesus is saying like, I know thy works. It's like it can deeply move our hearts because he sees everything. Yeah. It says in the Bible yeah. that he sees it even when you give someone a cup of cold water. And so it's yeah. like it just can like, I don't know, make you feel seen that and knowing that like it's not for nothing right and he's saying like even amidst all of the chaos going on in the world yeah. like he sees you yeah. and he loves you and he like loves what you're doing yeah. so yeah yeah more of like a sentimental side of that yeah now that's great I he's mean, watching but he loves <clears throat> it he loves watching you do good things right yeah and we'll see that the lord is sentimental but he also does not compromise right and that's something that's what we're going to come up to but um yeah don't think that he's just sitting there going Oh, I know your works and holding that against you. That's yeah. not how Jesus talks. Jesus, He's like, I love your works. I know that works. I, I love them. And I know where you can be better. And yeah. um, so one other thing, uh, this is kind of, uh, this is kind of stepping back for a second, but I just thought this was really cool. And once again, talking about the chapter one, something else that I've learned from there that is pertinent, I think, to all these letters is um, the vision that John has at the end of chapter one is that, um, the, he sees the seven candlesticks, and then in the midst of the candlesticks, he sees one like a son of man with seven stars in his hands. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands of the seven churches. Um, really interesting. Uh, when I was listening to Dr. David Pawson, one of the things he brought up is that basically Jesus, that he's telling John that I've walked literally in the midst. I am walking in the midst of these churches. So each church he's been to, He's walked in their midst, and they may not have recognized him, but
but he's been taking notes, and he knows of the culture. He knows of the things going on. I mean, it gets really cool when you look at uh, the Church of Laodicea, uh, which we'll get to eventually, and about the, um, the, he talks about lukewarm Christians, and I'd rather you be hot or cold. Uh, that is such a culturally appropriate thing that was only uh, pertinent for that church. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that when we get there, because uh, that's it's really cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, so Jesus says, back to this, um, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So we talked about this a little earlier, that the Temple of Zeus is shaped like a throne. And it was believed that this, I mean, not that it was believed, this is what Jesus says. This is where the devil's throne is. Um, one thing we have to recognize about the devil is that he um, he's not able to be everywhere at the same time like God is. Right. You know, he is um, locational and he has to have a spot. And so the devil will set up camp. Um, at that time, he was camped right there in that area um, in Pergamus on top of that hill. And um, Jesus seems to be sympathizing to this. He's like, Look, I know you came. You're, you're living. That that word "dwell there" means permanent residence, um, which implies that um, these people didn't have a choice of moving. Like they they could have. Uh, like a lot of times we think, oh well, why didn't they just move? They're in the place of Satan. Even today, we have a lot of churches that say, oh well, you know, we're having a hard time starting the church just because there's so much demonic, you know, activity in this area and such a dark cloud hanging over. As if to like excuse. Like their failure, and um, that's just like that's just being real. Is that um, the light is way brighter than the darkness? And if Jesus, like Jesus, never gives us more than we can handle, he always is like he he understands, he he controls the situations. And um, if this church was here in this area, he believed that they could uh, withstand, or else he would have told them to leave. Right. Um, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Once again, it says where Satan dwells. So this is where, this part, like, this kind of, like, wrecks me, because it's just so good. I talked about that Lordy Day idea that the, um, emperor, the emperor had one day out of every year where everyone was demanded to um, <clears throat> uh, give worship to Caesar. Um and in this this spot right here, um, it looks like there was a man named Antipas who uh, was martyred for the good. So, I mean, if you want to picture it, you could think that, you know, they line up the people from the church. The soldiers come out, they get them to line up and they say, it's time for you to pay your respects and worship Caesar, throw the incense into the fire. And they all say no. And so going through a Roman soldier's mind is, well, they're, they're refusing. We need to make an example of someone. Right. So they grab Antipas out of the line. And God's just so good how he does this stuff. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this is real stuff. This isn't literal. This isn't, like, symbolic or anything. This is very real yeah. and literal. Um, <laughs> you said it wasn't literal. Or it's not literal. Sorry, sorry. It's not, like, fictional. It, it's a real thing. Um, but the, I felt like I said literal. Yeah, I was like, I was like <laughs> no contradictions here. <laughs> Um, Antipas, the name Antipas means against, anti, and pas is everyone. So against everyone. You get this picture of this man, Antipas, stepping up and (coughs) demand him to throw his uh, incense into the fire. And he refuses. And they make an example of him. They cut him down and they kill him. 
there's there's uh, thoughts that he was um, like basically put into uh, like bronze bull or something in the belly of it uh, and then boiled alive. One of those. Um, like insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, and he did that all stuff. all over something just throwing a little incense in. I mean a lot yeah. of people would say like I mean you could just do it and you know forgive the Lord will forgive, the Lord will forgive you later. But no like they looked at it as yeah. like this is life or death and I my life means nothing to in, in relation to what my eternal life is. Right. Um, so that was just like it's crazy, and you know Jesus talks about he follows that up and calls Antipas my witness, my faithful one. Um, mm-hmm. You know the word martyr actually, um, the word martyr basically means a, a faithful witness, as in like a witness in a court case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also interesting going back to Revelation one. I've learned so much about Revelation one. I just keep learning things. It's awesome. Uh, when John has the vision of Jesus and he's got the eyes ablaze and the, the white hair and the white robes and the gold sash across his chest. When we hear that, we think, oh man, that's like just super holy and like all that stuff. But uh, that outfit is the outfit of a Roman judge. White cloak with a gold sash, yeah. um, which is crazy. So Jesus first came as Redeemer and came back that time as, or is coming back as a judge and he starts with his church and um, I just think that's like really cool. And then he calls Antipas his faithful witness in a court case. Um, And you would see if you looked in Revelation four, that um, that, that's a a picture of a courtroom you know, it's a picture of a courtroom all throughout the book of Revelation. There's a picture of courtroom and there's this theme of judge and witnesses and Mm -hmm. defendants and guilty and all this different stuff. So Really cool. Do you have anything on that? I don't think so. Okay. Ridiculous. Thank you. All right, this is you. Okay, so the next part, we're going way back into history. Um, I'll read the passage first, but it says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So I was like, please, can I teach on this part? Because I, when I first read the passage in Revelations, like Revelation a couple weeks ago, sorry, Revelation, <laughs> um, I read through the whole passage and I was like, I don't know who Balaam is. I don't know what this guy is. And I love always looking at the cross references like down at the bottom of the Bible. I'm like, oh, the Bible will tell me who this guy is. Yeah. So it took me back into numbers and I read the whole story and I was like, What's wrong with this guy? He just keeps blessing Israel. Like, I, I don't I don't get it. So I feel like I was missing context. So I had to Google, like, all the verses about Balaam. And then he's, like, scattered across Scripture. Lots in the Old Testament and then sometimes in the New Testament. And the New Testament always, like, is a negative connotation. Mm. The teachings of Balaam, which I hate. Like, things like that. And you're like, okay, what happened back there? <laughs> um, so basically... Most of his story is done, like, taught through Numbers 22 through 25, which I, get, like, would encourage you guys to read. Because it's, like, a very fascinating, weird, kind of scary story um, where there's the ends in a lot of death. <laughs> yeah. um, but Balaam, it says in the Bible, he was a prophet. Some scholars think maybe he was a good prophet and then he became corrupt. Um, some people say he was always bad. And just use the title prophet. 
But basically, in Joshua, I believe it is, it says that he's a soothsayer, which means that he uses demonic sorcery to see into the future and have spiritual powers. Um, so there was a Moabite king named Balak who hired Balaam to curse Israel. Balak um, saw that the Israelites were a couple miles away, basically, and knew that they would be traveling through his town. And he knew what happened when they crossed the Red Sea, and the sea, like, overcame all those soldiers that were chasing after the Israelites. And then he also heard about the plagues and how everyone around the Israelites died. And he was like, I don't want any of that mess here. So, and he wasn't following God, so he knew that he would be cursed, basically. <laughs> um, so... Balak hires Balaam to curse Israel. Balak said, or Balaam says, like, God, can I go do it? Somehow, like, the weird thing about Balaam is that he'll, like, go back to God and be like, God, is this okay? And God's like, mm-mm, this isn't good. And he's like, is it really okay? Like, can I do this? And God's like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and he's like, one more time, like, God, can I go do this? And God's like, if you must. Like, it literally says, God's like, go if you have to. And so it's not like... Yeah, sure, go ahead. Like, I changed my mind. It's like, you're going to do what you're going to do. I'm not going to force you. But I'm going to change the situation. So, um, Balaam is, like, on his way to this altar that's set up, and he's riding on his donkey. And you probably have heard the story of the donkey that talks in the Bible. Yeah. It's Balaam's donkey. So, Balaam is, like, traveling, and his donkey's, like, crushing his leg against the wall, like, every time he tries to go anywhere. And so he's like... What is wrong with my donkey? So he, like, curses at his donkey three times, and then the donkey, like, turns around and rebukes Balaam. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? Like, I'm your faithful donkey. Like, um, but he also, like, the Lord speaks through the donkey yeah. and tells him, you need to, like, you cannot go curse the Israelites. Like, this is against the Lord. Um, and Balaam, like, eventually he refuses to curse the Israelites, but it's kind of confusing. Because he still goes for it. Like, he still goes to the altars. He's like, I won't do it, but then he still goes. He's a very, like, double-minded, wishy-washy guy um, who also loved money. And so Balak is like, I'll pay you all this money if you go curse them. And I think it was, like, the temptation kept on, like, wooing him back. Um, So the cool thing is Balaam goes to curse them, and every time he opens his mouth, God fills it with blessings over Israel. (laughs) So it's like, I... Love you, Israel. You are my chosen people. And he's like, he can't even curse them. God's like, screw you. So it's it's really like if you know the whole context, the story makes way more sense. But for me, I was like reading it and I was like, I don't understand. Like, um, but now that I know it, I'm like, this is just a weird story. Yeah. Um, so basically, Balak is like, I paid you all this money and you still can't curse them. Balaam's like, I'm I can't. Like, this is totally out of my control. But what I can tell you is how to get them to stumble. So instead of cursing them, he gives Balak like the secret recipe, um, which is Moabite women, parties, and idols. <laughs> so he's like, bring your beautiful young women, have them bring their idols and their gods, and have them set up a party and just party with the Israelite soldiers. And so they set up their tents, and the Israelite soldiers are like, nice, this looks pretty good. And so they start like, committing sexual immorality and what would happen is when they would commit sexual immorality they would stay with that girl and take on her gods so then they would forsake Jesus um so in to go on that Colossians 3 5 says therefore put to death fornication 
evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to make like it, I guess, relevant that idol idolatry is not just me like bowing down to a Buddha or something like a statue. Like idolatry is covetous. Covet covetous. <laughs> I don't feel like covetous. I'm saying that. <laughs> covetousness. Um, so it's literally defined as to fix the desire upon something passionately or longingly. So they were, I mean, they were literally worshiping other gods, but we can do that with so many other areas of life. Um, so basically when Jesus is talking about the doctrines of Elam, it's sexual immorality and this idolatry. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's my story. Well done. That <laughs> Thank was, you. Yeah, it's, um, wow, I was sunk super deep into the bookshelf. The, um, that, that, that story definitely, Same. uh, <laughs> that story just really brings home that idea of the world being married to the church, or the church being married to the world. You know, we're not called to be the same as the world or look just like the world. We're called to be different, you know, because the, this world is not our home. Right. Um, and so this, like, this is, these are the teachings that they're getting, that, uh, or that they're following, that is causing them to fall away from the Lord and um, co-mingle, uh, which is not what the Lord wants. You know, once again, we talked about this earlier, Jesus is sympathetic to our situation, but he also is um, very set on his standard, and he doesn't move for that. You know, So um, I think that's very uh, interesting to... Um, take a look at yeah. the next verse talks about see you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans we talked about the Nicolaitans and um, the book the letter to Ephesus don't really know a ton of who they are um, you know there's speculation on who they are who the Nicolaitans were but what we do know is the fact that um, they were pushing a false doctrine uh, false gospel um, uh, speculations seem to think that these people were teaching that, like, basically simple things weren't that bad. Grace, that hyper-grace kind of thing. Yeah, um, I remember reading somewhere where it was te teaching that, like, the physical acts that you do, like, for example, sexual immorality, right. wasn't wrong because it was a physical thing, but you really still love God, right. and He's going to forgive what happened physically, yeah. but really your spirit's still good. Yeah. And God's like, that's so messed up. Yeah, so. yeah. and it's, yeah, that's, like, spot on. It's, like... That that's what we think the teachings right. were, but this is what also what the church was, you know, um, they they were doing was they were commingling with the world. They were performing sexual immorality, you know, that at the temples. A, a lot of times, those uh, Roman god temples, they had um, women that you would go and have sex with. They are prostitutes, temple prostitutes, um, and it was an act of worship to the you know Roman gods, the Greek Roman gods, and yeah. so. Um, you know, a man could say he was going up to the library, and the library was right beside the Temple of Zeus. So he could tell his wife, I'm going to the library, go up to the Temple of Zeus, pay his respects, and then go home with a parchment. I mean, it's just yeah. like, and still think that he was following the Lord in a uh, very good way, you know, thinking that he was on the right track. So, um, so moving forward, this is when Jesus gives his uh, exhortation. Therefore repent, or else I, I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. We already talked about what that sword was. It's a, a weapon of mass destruction. And Jesus himself says, if you don't repent, I'm coming quickly, and I will make war against you. Um, 
Did you have something there? Is that you? Yeah. You should talk to Matt. <laughs> Sorry, because I feel like I go super intense. Monica comes in with the nice, uh, like, cream. Oh, <laughs> yeah. this part right here? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so, um, obviously God's calling us to repent. Um, one thing I like that I read was, um, I think it was my fickle, but he says, when the Lord is against something in our life, he is really for us, and he's waging war against the things that hurt us. It's like he's saying, I'm against these issues that are hurting your spiritual life. You might not be aware of them like I'm aware of them, but I'm contending for your breakthrough and for your greatness in the spirit. I'm here. I'm for you. Yeah. And so he, when he corrects us with the sword of his mouth, yeah. one thing that um, it could be is just that he's correcting us with conviction first. Mm. That's like maybe what one side of the sword could be. Yeah. And so he's trying to reach out to us and to soften our hearts. Um, and he is faithful to redeem the areas of our life that we've been stumbling in. Um, and then one more thing that um, I read that I liked was Mike Bickle said, Speak his promises over your heart, and as you do that progressively, his sword will cut loose the bonds that you're trying, that are tying you to pornography or immorality. God can free you with the sword of his word after he convicts you with the sword of his word. So it's kind of this like, double-edged sword like I first I'm gonna like convict you but then I'm gonna free you you're not mm -hmm. shackled and he can do it all in like one swoop yeah, yeah. and um, it's amazing yeah that's yeah. so good, good yeah that makes me think too of like the idea of fighting against God and allowing him to do like work in your heart and being humble and like you know so when we read the Bible we talk about the washing of the word but the word is a two-edged sword and when we go willingly to the Bible reading it with an open mind and asking the Holy Spirit to speak I, that picture of cutting the ties, like I see the Lord just swinging that thing, mm -hmm. and He wants to chop down all those evil things. That's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, and so His judgment that we always look at, and some people are like, "God, there's a judge," you know, He's He's angry, He's mad, you know, like He is angry, but for all the right reasons. There is right. holy anger, and um, you know, like I, I wouldn't want to follow a king who wouldn't get angry about things that were wrong and that hurt his people. That's yeah. what kind of king is that? What kind of king wouldn't stand up with ferocity, with fire in his eyes? What kind of father? You know, what kind of like father? Him? Yeah, what kind of father would just be like, oh, you know, it's okay, like, because... Boys will be boys. <laughs> and the big thing you have to realize is that this is a battle between the the powers and the spirit, supernatural powers. This isn't fleshly. So when we talk about judging people and, like, hating people, Jesus doesn't hate people. He loves people, yeah. but he hates the spirit behind them. And when he wants mm -hmm. to swing his sword, he's swinging for those spirits, those right. evil things. Yeah. Um, and you can either step out of the way and let him chop it, or you can stand in the way and, you know, get chopped down. I mean, that's kind of yeah. <laughs> the, just reality. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I know we've kind of gone a little long, so we kind of want to wrap it up here. We do have one kind of smaller thing left to do. Um, this is the last part. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. Um, I just want to say on the he who has an ear part is that the, the, this is an invitation that requires uh, an RSVP, if you will. This isn't him just saying, like, you know, he who has an ear, whatever. He's, he's inviting you to like a, a supernatural way of living, a, a kingdom way of living. Right. Um, so like that don't just like 
now that you've read it, you're responsible. Sorry. <laughs> you're responsible for the words in this book. And once again, we know Revelation is the only book that promises a special blessing to the one who reads it. So let that don't let that be like, oh, crap, I'm stuck. I'm like playing the game. I lost the game. I, I play that game forever. It's the worst. <laughs> anyway, um, I think Monica's going to share on the man yeah. the white stone. Um, this is good. There's so... In regards to the mana, there's only a couple speculations. It's a little bit more straightforward, but on the white stone, there's, like, tons. So I just wanted to touch on a couple of them that, like, really resonated with me or moved my heart. Um, one thing that, was he a doctor? Dr. David Pawson? Yeah. Dr. David Pawson said was, um, the gifts of the mana and the stone can simply come down to refreshing and relationship. And I was like, oh, Lord, that does it for me. Um... So, in regards to the manna, a lot of scholars think, and the Bible would say, that manna is a type of bread. It literally means, what is it? So, we might not really know what it is, but it talks about the bread of heaven, the bread of angels, right. things like that. Um, so, if you look at bread in the Bible, you see that Jesus says he's the bread of life. And I just wanted to read, I put it in here, but it went away. John six thirty five. I think it is. Go right up a little bit. Yeah, John 6, 35, uh, and it says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those who is... He has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Um, so, the manna is, like I said, a little bit more straightforward. Jesus is the true bread, the manna from heaven that sustains us. The overcomer is promised full enjoyment of that which they have foretasted in this life. Um, and an interesting fact about manna is that in the Bible, there's actually some passages about hidden manna. Um, and the manna was hidden only after it was put in this golden pot in the Ark of the Covenant and put away in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest could see the hidden manna once a year on the Day of Atonement as he entered the Holy of Holies. And so if he's giving us that whole, the hidden manna, mm -hmm. like he's giving us that same authority that one high priest got once right. a year. Yeah. But it's like a blessing, like, come on. Like, you can come see the whole, like, yeah. in Mana. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then the white stone. This one, like, I, it just fascinates me so yeah. much. And it just, like, even the words, like, my dad's always talked about this. And he's yeah. like, I want my name to be Jedediah. Like, he's so, <laughs> like, he, like, has talked about that my whole life. And so I think it just holds this, like, really sweet, like, memory with me. Um, but to... <laughs> Two of my favorite theories came from the guys we've talked about a lot, David Pawson and Mike Bickle, and they're completely opposite. Like, one of them is very simple and, like, endearing, and the other one is, like, wow. Yeah. So, um, David Pawson talks about um, old stories with tradition of a little boy giving a small white stone to the girl he loved. He would either carve her name or his name in the stone, and it was a picture of, like, his faithful love and affection towards her. Kind of like a modern-day promise ring, but, like, he actually carved their yeah. names in. And it's a promise of love and commitment. And so that's just, like, so sweet. Um, 
And Mike Bickle talks about, he talks about this as total speculation. So do not take my words as, this is what the Bible says. Because this is like, just him being like, what if I dreamed that it was this thing? So he sees like, the white stone as something, as a stone, kind of like a medal of honor given to those who offered valiant service to their community or in battle. Like in Roman days, when people would win the Olympics, they were given like this really big medal of honor. Um, and he sees it as like a sphere, almost like as big as a bowling ball. And it's like, it's white, but it's like see-through and made of this like precious glass. And um, you like look in the sphere and you can see all the acts of service that you've done, like all the things Jesus loved about you. And all these memories that you're like, holy crap, you saw that? You saw when I was 15 and I like gave my life to you. Or you saw when I stayed pure in that moment that was really hard or like all these beautiful things and then the new name like flashes up and it's like everything that you see all the love that Jesus has for you encompassed in that one name and you're just like my breath is like taken away like he loves us so much it's gonna be whatever it is it's gonna be amazing so there's tons and tons of theories on this because it's so vague and there's not a lot um there's not a lot of cross-references in the Bible about it. Yeah. So, again, total speculation. But for me, I'm like out of breath. You did. Um, <laughs> for me, it's fun to think, like, am I thinking too small about mm-hmm. a gift that the yeah. Lord would give me? Right. Is it something yeah. that's, like, totally out of this world and, like, fascinating and beautiful? Or is it something that's, like, so sweet and small that Jesus is like, I see you. Like, yeah. this is your name. Like, hold on to it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. yeah, it will carry the, oh yeah, that's another thing, sorry. Um, in the Bible, we talk, there's a lot that talks about new names getting changed. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, Simon was renamed Peter, speaking of his character and position as the rock. Abram to Abraham, um, Sarai, Sar- yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's how you say it, to Sarah, which changed from, like, my princess to mother of nations, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel to talk about his access to God. So when there's a name change, it talks about their character, destiny, and dedication. So your new name is going to carry this weight and power and, like, affection all at the same time from your Heavenly Father. Yeah. So it's really exciting. Yeah, it's so good. It's fun to just, like, dream about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so good. Um so yeah, now we'll just kind of wrap it up and kind of give you kind of the, the things that are real takeaways um, here is the main point here is do not be married to the world. You know, you are always called to be separate. And um, it's not like you're just called to like, oh man, there's something we listened to that we me, we both listened to like that we were like, man, that's so sweet. Oh, so like thinking about parties like nowadays, we think of parties and we're like, a lot of people go out and they drinks drinks and you know do all this different stuff and they're dancing and they're they're like wild living and to some of us i mean that could be fun i mean to other people there could be different things that is like fun but i remember that was a thing to me that was so fun and i remember when the lord challenged me of like this this isn't fun this isn't good this isn't like this is sinful and that was like really hard because it's like man, I'm just supposed to, like, abstain? Like, what the heck? But Jesus is always, like, he's not just telling you to abstain for no reason. He's always telling you to abstain because he has something so much better for you. So, like, when we abstain from, like, 
parties and like I specifically use parties because heaven has parties. You know, anytime somebody accepts the Lord, it says heaven throws a party right. that everyone's worshiping. In the whole book of Revelation, we see all the nations, this everybody is... from everywhere. I yeah. mean, you think of those big festivals that have thousands of people and they're all listening to music. Think of how incredible the party is going to be in heaven one day. And I don't want to go to heaven and just get to heaven. You know, this, all these letters have these like promises to the overcomer. Like, I want to show up to the party with my white stem and yeah. my new name. Yeah. You know? Like, and th that, like Monica was saying, that Medal of Honor of like, I didn't succumb in the previous world. Like, one thing that you're always going to, like, that you will have possibly, um, it's speculation, in heaven is missed opportunities that you're going to think back on. Like, you know, th there's things that you, you can probably look back on and go, man, I, oh, if I only knew, like, and God showed me all over the place, but if I would just listen to him and trust him, man, I would have been so much better set up. I think about that. that it right. might not be exactly what happens, but I don't want to go to heaven with any, like, I, I want to know that I left it all out on the field. I want to know that I did everything I could to um, yeah. honor the Lord, honor his name, because he's what matters. In all reality, we're just here for such a short period of time. Yeah. Like, why are you going to waste it doing things that don't like add to your life and don't add to your future when Jesus is promising you this dank like white stone <laughs> that you're going to head to the party with and you're going to get a way better name. You know what my name means? Crooked nose. Yeah. I'm getting a better name one day. Like, <laughs> that's redemption. That's ultimate redemption. Look at that you're going to name me straight as, straight as an arrow. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, uh, so let, let me just, I want to go through these last notes just so you have them, um, and we'll finish. Um, the, the, if we want to have some application to the churches, um, Ephesus, when just reviewing the application to their church was Jesus wants devotion, not just doctrine. Ephesus was really good with their doctrine, but yeah. they were missing out on the devotion part. Um, Smyrna was just endure persecution. Keep doing what you're doing. You guys are doing great, but keep on. For the Pergamus, it's purify your ambassadorship. You are an ambassador, and you need to purify, like, make one your path for Jesus. That you're, that's what you're fighting for. That you're not marrying in different customs and things. Mm -hmm. um, and just living a half-hearted life. Nobody wants that. Um, for personal application, Ephesus was neglected priorities. They weren't prioritizing uh, time with the Father like they should, or love, they're the first fruits love. Um, they were prioritizing theology. Um, in Smyrna, there was satanic opposition, so that was like what they were up against. And then Pergamus, it, the, the sin was spiritual compromise. Um, we do not want to be Christians that compromise our like spiritual stuff just because of the culture, especially today when we're so inundated with all kinds of different things. like um, So many things that it's like, in culture, it's like, oh, it's fine. Like, let people do what they want. I mean, I could list the things, but somebody might chase me down with a bat. I'm not afraid of it, but... Can I say something about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Something I just remembered from when I was studying was when Jesus is addressing the church, he's addressing the people who are committing those sins, but also to the people who are remaining silent. Yeah. And both are not okay. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. staying silent is also, like, a form of compromise. Yeah. And so he's saying, like... You need to repent if you've been silent. You know this stuff is going on. Call people out, but yep. repent too. So yep. 
Yep. Yeah. And that, like, I mean, you could think about, like, the, the Holocaust, one of the worst, like, tragedies in the entire, like, history of the world, yeah. is that six million Jews were murdered, and uh, a big reason for that was the silent pulpits in Germany, mm -hmm. the, the silent churches not saying anything against it, mm -hmm. and just allowing it to happen. Yeah. Um, and that's a form of anti-Semitism, and that's against God's people. Right. And, wow, holy cow, we can go down that road. Like, <laughs> um, but, like, I mean, thinking about, like, the stuff that happened with that guy, uh, Ahmad Arbery, I think is his name, um, the, the young man. Oh, the was, yeah, yeah, he, he was yeah. shot dead in the middle of the street by two guys who were going to, like, you know, they were trying to enforce justice. And, uh, like, we don't stand for that. Like, I don't care who it is. I don't care the race. I don't care the gender. I don't care what it is. We don't stand for be people being murdered. And if your heart isn't, like, just, like, wretched at that, yeah. you know, like, we can't be silent about that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not saying you have to be become a huge, like, propaganda board, but when it comes up, like, I'm, I don't stand for that. Like, me as a Christian, that's not what I believe in. I right. don't believe in murder. I don't, like, every life is precious. Every person is a child of God, potentially, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I want to see every person's creative value. I also don't want to fall into hatred towards those two men that did that. Because that's just giving into the, the, the Satan. Yeah. That's where people, a lot of people fail is because they get mad at the thing that was done. And so they want to blame it on somebody and they blame it on the people that did it. Um, and yes, they should be held accountable. That's not what I'm saying. But like, I'm not going to wish murder on those people because now I'm, now I'm just as bad as they are right. pretty much. And um, that's not what Jesus would do. You hate the sin. <sighs> yes. Um, enough with that. The last thing is the promises to the overcomer. Um, Ephesus, the promise to the overcomer was that they get to eat from the tree, the fruit of the tree of life. Sweet. That sounds awesome. That's going to be delicious. Um, <laughs> don't miss out. Promise to the overcomer in Smyrna is you will not be hurt of the second death. Um, and then Pergamus is there's hidden in a, uh, the big white stone and a new name. Um, so that concludes our teaching um, if you've got questions, let's, let's get them. If you, but, uh, they're going to be reading some comments here. Um, I will say, um, right now, once again, just refreshing you guys, like go study this for yourself. I mean, I've listened to so many teachings this week and I still like, am so hungry and like, I want more. Yeah. Um, I promise you, if you start reading this book and start really like listening to these things, your heart will be awakened. So, um, and you might find a different teacher that you love. Yeah, it doesn't have to be Chuck Missler. It doesn't have to be, like, David Paulson. It doesn't have to be Mike Bickle. Like, yeah. you know, as long as they're, you know, sticking to the Bible. Obviously, you know, you want people who teach well. Yeah. Don't just and choose any teacher. I found that it was really good to listen to multiple different teachers. Right. Because, Chuck, I have to, like, to listen to him, I have to be really focused and, like, sit there and listen because he gets so much information. Yeah. Dave Pawson, I can listen on my drive to work, I drive to home. Like, he's, it's so beautiful. And I can, like, retain a lot of his information. Mike Bickle's a little bit more like Chuck where I have to, like, really be focused. But it was good to get, they all three have very, not very different opinions, but they have some different opinions. And so it's good to, like, just listen to the variety. Yeah. And then that way you're held responsible for how you interpret it. Yeah. Because, you know, you shouldn't just take one man's word for it because one man's going to be probably wrong in some respects. Yeah. So. It's good when you find a teacher that says, this is speculation, yeah. instead of someone who's like, this is the way it is. Because right. Revelation has mm -hmm. so much that could 
these speculations. Yeah. So, all right. Do we have any questions? Not so far. Not so far? Then we're good. Okay. Uh, the teaching will be up sometime soon. Uh, we love you guys. We hope you yeah. guys are blessed. Um, I do want to just pray us out. That's cool. So, that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, Dad, we just thank you for every person that's a part of Identity House and anybody who's been watching the, the live stream that isn't a part of our church. Um, we just thank you for each person. And once again, Holy Spirit, I just um, pray that you would speak to some, each person um, specifically on one thing, if not multiple, but I mean, at least just one thing that really just makes their heart come alive. And that, God, that you would give us a hunger for your word, a hunger to know the truth about you, God. Um, I cancel like all fear and uh, like the enemy's attacks on people to keep them from reading this precious, precious book. Um, he hates when people find out about this book because it basically calls him a loser. And he doesn't want people <laughs> to know that. Um, and it also talks about how God's the winner. And um, what better thing do we as Christians need to know that like we are partnered with the king of the entire universe who wins. He wins. He wins. And so we just glorify you, King Jesus. Um, we uh, surrender to you and show us the places that we need to surrender to you even deeper, God. Mm -hmm. um, we just love you so much and we want to be uh, pure ambassadors for you and your kingdom. Um, so yeah, yeah, we love you, Dad. We thank you and uh, praise it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you are interested in finding out more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Identity House. To find out more about the Identity Network and our sister churches, you can go to www.theidentitynetwork.com.